podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. We've had a lot of good test match cricket in the last couple of weeks and a wonderful women's uh, World Cup that's currently underway in New Zealand. To help me look at all of this cricket and maybe even look at some of the cricket that's coming up, I have a wonderful guest joining me today. Messages from the guerrilla cricket world. Hello, Messi. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ajit. It's lovely to be here. I know I've been hearing you talk and uh, do other things around the guerrilla cricket world for a while. So I've always wanted to have you as a host. So thanks for accepting to do a guest host uh, role with me here. My pleasure. Wonderful. So before we get going, I ask this of every guest of mine. So I uh, know it's not about Corona. It's about cricket. What got you into the game? So how, when did the bug bite you, the cricket bug? I was very young. I, I grew up in England until I was about 19. Um, and cricket was a big thing at school. It was a big thing for my father. And um, I was at a small school. There were about 80 boys there. Uh, and we had seven at 11s. So basically everybody was in a cricket team, whether they were any good or not. And I just loved it. And it wasn't just the playing. I wasn't very good at playing. Uh, it was the figures that just watching people and working with numbers because numbers has always been a, a big thing in my life. And I loved that. And I used to remember sitting, watching games, just using the scoring the score pad to score the game as it went, that sort of thing. Uh, so I loved it. Cause when I grew up, there was very little television cricket on television, of course, and we didn't have a TV in my house. Um, so it was a matter of going to the cricket live and watching it. I just, uh, I've always loved uh, being part of that, that thing. And uh, it's amazing these days that the internet provides so much capacity for connection with people around cricket because cricket is about, uh, on the internet anyhow, is about much more than just cricket. It's about the connection that comes with it. And I, I find that people who like cricket are generally really lovely people. So I get a lot of uh, enjoyment from connecting with them, as I am with you for the first time today. <laughs> Indeed. I hope uh, it will be a wonderful chat because you told me you watched cricket in Australia for 50 years. I mean, before we uh, get going, I mean, are there any wonderful stories you would like to relate from your time watching cricket, being around mm. the, maybe the cricketing setup there? Well, being in Perth, uh, which is a long way from the rest of Australia, basically, uh, the only place that I got to see cricket was at the WACA ground. Um, but I was really lucky to grow up at, or to, to be there at a time when uh, Sheffield Shield cricket was a huge thing. And the West Australian cricketers that came through that were pretty amazing. Uh, we had Graham McKenzie was at his peak when I arrived, uh, then Dennis Lilly, Rod Marsh. Um, so there's a whole generation of cricketers who I used to take my little kids down there to watch. And 
the very first test match I ever went to uh, was at the Wacker Ground in 1970. Um, and it was, it was actually a pretty dull game. It was a draw. It wasn't a very good pitch. But nobody cared because it was a huge celebration, the very first test match ever played in Perth. But there were some pretty amazing things. Uh, Barry Richards made 354 for South Australia against Western Australia uh, in Perth. And on the first day, he made 318, I think it was. Now, I didn't get to see the first day. I was at work, unfortunately, but listening to it all. So I went down the next day and just saw the, the extra 30 or 40 runs that he made. Um, but just to see someone like that was sort of to see a god. Uh, he was he was magic. Um, I was at the ground in 1974, five, I think it was, when Colin Cowdery was sent out by England uh, to try and save them in the series where Lily and Thompson were the, the, the key Australian bowlers. And I remember watching him come into bat and it was, it was painful and it was funny and it was sad because here's a, a man whose achievements in cricket were absolutely fantastic. But he, he came out unfit uh, and not ready for what he was going to be facing. And he took a battering. He was past. He was past his best. He was always a bit portly, Mr. Cowdery. Absolutely. But more and more so absolutely. towards the end, right? Yeah. But, I mean, he did not have the reflexes to play those two. Definitely. No, he did not. He did not. Well, none of the English bats did, to be honest. <laughs> uh, they were absolutely pulverized. But, you know, there's been some wonderful stuff. Mitchell Johnson um, at the Wacker mm-hmm. uh, was something to behold. Um, there was a, a series uh, against the West Indies where, oh, I think, was it Malcolm Marshall? No, it wasn't Marshall. I'm trying to remember who it was. It took seven. Ambrose, the early 90s. Yes. I think, where, uh there were a couple of very high octane games between Australia and uh, West Indies in, in at Perth, which was then the fastest pitch in the world. It was. It was. It's interesting. Four of the fastest uh, test hundreds ever made have been in Perth, even though it's only had cricket played there for 50 years. Um, so, it, yeah, it's a wonderful ground to watch cricket at uh, from the point of view of the play, or it used to be. It was a dreadful ground to be there as a spectator because uh, they – it was hot and the shade was just non-existent. So we now have this huge stadium, which is very comfortable, but doesn't have the same character as the way. But that's enough about me, anyhow. <laughs> Look, you've gone through the entire gamut of what uh, WACA had to offer, right? Yeah. You, the WACA ground at Perth. Well, you saw the first game you told me. This is fantastic to hear. And you must have some wonderful memories also off the pitch. As you said, it was more of a celebration every game for you and all your colleagues and friends there. So fantastic to see. And of course, that comes the unavoidable question, right? You are an Englishman living in Australia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> England team's achievements there have not been much to write <laughs> home about in the last <laughs> all those years. So um, how does it feel? Or have you now... Oh, I've naturalized yourself to be an Australian Indian. Oh, very message. much so. So I came out in 1970 and I thought I was going to be on a two-year working holiday. Um, and when the English came out in 1970, I supported the English. And they won. John Snow was one of my heroes from my county, Sussex, uh, and bowled brilliantly. And it was a great series. Uh, but I got married about a year later. And once I'd married an Australian woman, there was sort of no going back. 
Um, so <laughs> I accepted the fact that I was going to be living in Australia. And so by the time the English came out again, four years later, I had uh, turned my loyalties and supported Australia, which was fortunate because all of a sudden Australia were doing really well. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's been very lucky because the English performances in Australia over the last 30 years or so have been with one notable exception, pretty ordinary. 2010, I think I remember that Ashes very well. Yes. I mean, must take a special leader. I, I always credit Andrew Strauss with doing something that England had not done in 30 years. So that's wonderful work. It was. And look, it's not been repeated yet, again yet. Yeah. Right? All right. Now, let's get going with the games that were played in the recent past and currently being played. So let's first take a quick look at the India-Sri Lanka series. So... A bit of a drubbing in the second test, day-night test again. Um, well, I want to know your opinion as a neutral spectator. I mm. probably will have some coloured opinion on it. Does it make a good viewing at all, this sort of a test? Three days? Well, it's a really interesting question. I compare that with the first test Australia and Pakistan had, which was five days mm. of, well, grind, frankly. <laughs> and... Yeah, it does, it does in a way make for some good viewing. The pitch was pretty ordinary. Uh, and, you know, when it started on day one and Sri Lanka had India in all sorts of trouble, I thought, well, this game could actually be over in two days. Because uh, it was, I mean, as it was, it only lasted three days. But <laughs> the irony is that you've got that massive amount of action going on there in significant part because of the pitch. At the same time, you've got bugger going on in Pakistan, again, because of the pitch. <laughs> and so there's been an awful lot of discussion around pitches in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the truth is, it's always been thus. <laughs> Look, you don't make uh, Bunsen burners. There was actually yeah. a part of the pitch just where the spinner's good length was. Something more was done to it. Where yes. the moment the ball hit that, there were puffs of dust from the first morning or first afternoon, right? And... Yeah. Very well done to the Indian batting that held through, thanks to Rishabh Pant initially, but also Shreya Sayar mainly, right? Yeah. Who just missed 100. But that was fantastic, fantastic work. And even that 250 was going to be a lot. You were right. I felt this could be enough for an innings win, right? Literally, yes. that 250. Yeah. But uh, that's not how cricket is played anymore. So even though they got uh, Sri Lanka out for 109, right? With surprisingly Bumrah doing majority of the damage. He took a 5 4 on such a pitch. Yeah. Air quotes, spinner's paradise. Um, and then India batted on. And I think they make it a point to bat again, occupy another certain amount of overs and show, look, it's not a bad pitch to bat. It's happened multiple <laughs> times over the last two years as well. In theory, it is not. It's just a spinner-friendly pitch. It's something that's friendly to the bowlers in those conditions. But then it's about, I think, getting the balance of the pitch right where it remains fairly steady for the first two days. And then it starts breaking well, that's, up. That's the challenge, isn't it? Um, I mean, this was a pitch that was actually more active uh, in the first half of the first day than it was at any other time in the, the match, I'd say. Pretty much. Um, and it's it's always difficult getting that balance because you, you'd expect a, a reasonable uh, surface for the first two, two and a half days and then for it to gradually break down. But the truth is that's not always going to happen. And teams have to be ready to deal with whatever's in front of them. 
Um, and I think, you know, that's that's why it is a test. If they're all the same, it'd get dull. That's a wonderful point. But for me, it's about building that certain amount of balance between your bat and ball. You don't want tests that yes. are over in two days or three days as well, because, well, there is quality of opposition to be taken into account. But there's more than that, because the way Dimut Karunaratna played, that 100 on the last day, what was to be the last day, the third day, was worth probably 200 on any other pitch. Yes. He was yes. apparently playing on a different pitch altogether, right? He looked comfortable, yeah. decisive footwork, front or back, and proper strokes. You block until you do, and you wait on the bad ball. And that's the difference, I thought, between the bowling in both the tests, frankly, between the spinners on both teams, was how accurate the Indian yes. bowlers remain. As you say, you turn enough, and one that doesn't turn gets your wicket, right? You turn three or four that mm, screws mm. the batsman's head, and one that goes straight on, you need to slip or whatever. So, uh, it's mostly that that consistency that the Indian bowlers were able to bring in. Absolutely, I I think uh, the the truth of the matter is that India has had a reputation, whether deserved or not, of having you know, Bunsen burners uh, fairly frequently. And there have been some of those. And I look at the contrast when England were, was it two years ago now, I suppose, and they won the first test mm -hmm. uh, convincingly and then got absolutely hammered in the, the other three tests. And the, the quality of the wickets was just very different in all of them. That's the interesting part. Uh, and that's going to happen. You don't expect the uh, um, the visiting team to get the favor of the pitch and the conditions. That's that's one of the part. Yeah. That's one of the parts of you Absolutely. know why you tour. But still, interestingly, there were only two venues used. It was last year, right? So there were only two venues used because of COVID and bubble and everything, right? So how do you prepare such different pitches like twenty feet from each other? That that's what I'm looking. I know. At, right? I, I, at least, was, well, there was different color earth in them, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surely. But, well, the pitch curators know what they're doing, no wonder. And uh, yeah, it made, yeah. made for very interesting viewing. As you said, you couldn't take your eyes off it. But, you know, where I come from, we have a saying, if you are eating curd rice, you need a piece of pickle with it. Right? So, you have this <laughs> curd rice of Pakistan-Australia test that's very anodyne where you're blocking out over after over, session after session. And you have this short, very punchy test which is full of flavor. Right, full of you can't take yes. your eyes off it, sort of thing. So, you know, I was referring to it off air. This is what I would love. I would watch the game in India, but I would listen to the Pakistan game in my ears if I could. Then you have the perfect balance, something slightly slower pace yeah. in your ear, but then you're looking at the don't take your eyes off the screen action, right? So, there I would like to credit guerrilla cricket for what they're doing, really. There's a bit of color in the commentary. It's not all too, <laughs> too straight and too uh, politically correct. And I, I love that. And I think we even have uh, people partaking in uh, certain uh, substances that might uh, give you more fun. So it's all the more. Well, no, not personally. Uh, well, I'm not taking names. Uh, so we'll leave that. But nonetheless, I think we should now move on to the other series that we already brought up. So it's about getting that balance right. And if you're not... Careful, you might go the other way, where the pitches are a road. Yes. And five yes. days, it's like, in the first test, not 20 wickets fell in the five days. I mean, that's terrible. Yeah. Five near full days. That was. Lot of runs, more than a thousand runs scored. And then the second test, what a contrast, right? So, Australia did what they did. It was a similar sort of a pitch. It did not really break up much even into the fifth test. Yeah. yeah. But then they chose to play old school test cricket. 
right where you say yes i'm going to bat first bat as long as possible and let the pitch slowly as you say the first two days i take up i take the best part of the pitch out then i let you take on the vagairis as they may build in the pitch and then pakistan crumbled it was probably fatigue probably more than anything else it was the fatigue well i think that's right i, I and i think that's Yeah, you know, I heard. Uh, I think it was Jeff Lemon commenting on it, and I've got a lot of time for his comments. Mm-hmm. He said, "This is the way cricket has been played in Pakistan for decades." And what's happening is people have learned how to do that, and they're just doing it well. And yeah, fatigue is say, you know, those Test play cricketers have been in a hot climate for over two days in the field. and come in they've got a combination of of exhaustion so that the concentration's not as good as it was uh they've got some scoreboard pressure on them because there's 550 on the board and they've they've got a situation where it doesn't look as if whatever they do they're going to be able to win so that does make it harder and then you've got Mitchell Stark and um Pat Cummings bowling some extraordinary stuff uh at a time when nobody had any right to expect it the pitch played no part in it um so that's the beauty of test cricket the fact that that could happen notwithstanding that the pitch remained dead as a doornail and then uh to have pakistan bat out for almost two full days in the way that they did and to see baba i was baba's wicket at 196 was the saddest i've ever felt to see australia take a wicket oh. because if ever, ever anybody deserved 200 it was that that's his highest test score by quite a margin mm-hmm. it's it's amazing to think because he is undoubtedly one of the top four or five batters in the world at the moment there was a lovely stage um during actually it was during the first test match i think when uh there were three test matches going on joe root virat kohli and baba were all not out at the mm. same time wow. i mean what, wow. they went all batting because of the the time frames but i thought that's what i like to be happening you know that's that's test cricket at its spreading the, across the globe doing what it ought to be doing indeed what a poignant thing to observe well done so if i come back to this test a word of uh, praise to mr khawaja as well going back to yes, his roots indeed. going back to where his ancestors come from that was very emotional and to miss out on the first test right that was a silly reverse sweep to give it away and then uh, well this time he put it out he put it in the locker he he came back and he just dug in good guards like nearly 10 hours and then um, to make that 160 and australia continue to grind on and on with carry missing out on 100 but Uh, for them to see Mitchell Stark batting conservatively, playing uh, almost 100 balls for less than 30, almost like what Pujara would do, potentially, right? This guy is a big guy with a lot of long levers and a lot of uh, you know power. He's taking the time out of the yeah. game, right? He, he's yeah. been told that, and he's following a plan. That's fantastic to see, right? And then Pat Cummings making sure to come out on the last day, hit a few quick runs, but making sure that another half an hour is taken up in the game, right? What is a mental disintegration? Yeah. And then it worked. And if you look at that that middle period, what you said, so Swepson took two and Lyon only one in the first innings. It was that that yes. half an hour, 45 minutes, I was lucky enough to be watching it, where Azhar Ali, Fawad Alam uh, were dismissed, and then Rizwan, and then up to Sajid Khan. So, up until they lost hasan ali that 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 collapse from say 2 for 60 to about 
eight for hundred and two. That 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 forty run yeah. period, fantastic cricket, fantastic theatre. This is what you go to a test match for. This is what you look at a test match for. Before the game, I had even questioned why is Stark playing ahead of Hazelwood on such a pitch. You would want yeah. somebody to bowl dry over long period so that your spinners can attack. Cummins himself is yes. an attacking bowler. Yes. There comes Hazelwood. Was my thought process. No, yeah. they expected Lyon to bowl dry. Therein came Stark being like a attacking weapon, the tip of the spear. So he'll come. He'll make an incision and go away. The rest of the people will finish off, so to say. So he did that, and more than that, that half an hour where the ball started reversing, even Green got a reverse. The way he dismissed Fahim Ashraf, yes. the ball was reversing in, and he got Fahim Ashraf LBW. Fantastic to see, wonderful Test match theatre. But then, as you say rightly, we have to talk about what Babar Azam did. Look, this is the highest score by a captain in the fourth innings in the history of cricket. Yes. What a record to have, and. How unlucky was he to be dismissed at 196? I felt my heart break as well. That was very undeserved. I mean, he's played 10 full hours, 600 plus minutes, right? But then a lot of credit to Abdullah Shafiq, who's more of an old school opener. Well, that I mean, that's something I was going to mention. I think that's one of the most exciting things to come from this Test match mm. is the coming of age of Abdullah Shafiq. I think he's going to be around for a very long time mm-hmm. and make an awful lot of runs. Uh, and as a, as you say, an old-fashioned opener, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's really got the discipline there to be able to do it and to to press on when he needs to. So yeah, I thought that was fantastic. And then that partnership between Azam and Rizwan, the keeper, who's again mm-hmm. come miles miles from where he started, yep. and for him to hold the fort towards the end, right? Uh, him and Norman Ali, uh, who on a good day with Stark and Cummins fully sort of. in their pomp would probably work the tail out within a 5 8 hour spell but for him to hang in there take that another 30 40 minutes crucial crucial 30 40 minutes at the end of the game a lot of credit to rizwan as well so that was a worthy test match even though it may have ended in a draw it was a earned draw the rare guard 170 overs quite something i i did not expect this would actually occur if you remember sri lanka have done it a couple of times i think they did it once in england they did it once uh, after in new zealand and not all the teams have the temperament for it so no, very well no, done exactly. for uh, to pakistan and it's a fairly young team that babar is building around him but what we saw here yep. augurs very well the attitude well i was going to say that it it means that there is another player on the block for a considerable period of time who's going to be up there challenging england and australia and maybe south africa uh but sorry india and australia i don't see england as a, a force to be reckoned <laughs> with for quite a while um the 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 one thing that i was really sad about uh was that that pitch meant that um afridi really didn't get the chance to to be at his best mm. and uh the other thing of course is with harris raf being sick that he wasn't able to play because uh, i i've seen him in the the big bash over here and i i'm very excited by him i think he's going to be a fantastic uh, long term prospect for pakistan i don't know if he'll be as good in the longer format but remains to be seen right it remains to be seen whether mm-hmm. he can do it he's definitely very good in the shorter formats no doubt about it and for shahin shah afridi i think he's growing into his game he'll probably in his own mind realize this was a pitch where he needed to be a stark he needed to let hasan ali and fahim ashraf bowl dry and bowl long if required yeah he would yeah. probably go talk to his captain he himself has won a psl so he knows what he's talking of 
so eventually he may go approach his keeper and say make me a like a, the tip of the spear sort of a weapon i'll give you four mm-hmm. sharp overs every spell i'll give you 12 to 16 of those on such a pitch that's what you want because if i can take one wicket in each spell we are going to win the game right uh, he's probably yeah. growing into that but again i'm very impressed by what pakistan have set up and the one thing you you actually said i like to touch upon that's how indeed pakistan test cricket is played there in that country and even when they moved to uae the same pattern followed where the test built up slowly over three days and towards the last one one and a half days a lot of things happened two full innings finished quite comfortably in that you know 120 140 overs or so it's very nice so this this change in rhythm even though in theory they're not very far away so when the previous bunch of tests was going on in the two series the physical distance was no more than 400 kilometers i understand between the india sri lanka mm. and uh, pakistan australia tests but such a lot of contrast <laughs> when you look at how the test matches have evolved and how even the playing culture is right that's absolutely quite something yeah. all right now if you were to move on i think we should go have a quick chat about england uh, and west indies well it's interesting that we should go there from pakistan because um the pitches again have, have been uh, a question big question mark there's a strong point of view that the pitches uh they're the the um <clears throat> under the control of the local um cricket body so it's not part of the west indies border control or whatever it's called mm-hmm. um and that there is a keenness to make sure the test lasts a full day just for the economy of the islands involved because it's a big deal for them ah. if that's the case that's very sad uh certainly the the wicket for the t- for first test and now for the second test have been really disappointing um there's yesterday i think there were something like 180 runs scored even though the west indies did end up losing quite a number of wickets in the end mm-hmm. uh it's just not a a wicket that's going to make it easy um when it comes down to the west indies and england this is going to sound sort of patronizing but it it's it's been described by somebody as a relegation battle i mean it it's it's the two of the teams down the bottom uh, who are reasonably evenly matched in the circumstances what i found really interesting was when england started the first test match there was an expectation that the west indies would be easy that they would be able to knock them over the bookies had england at short price favorites and i thought well that's pretty insulting and that's from people who a aren't playing very well and b and not giving the respect to their opposition that they deserve because they've been showing that they've been getting better and better and more disciplined in their cricket over the last couple of years uh whereas England have been a rabble frankly um but i think it's served both sides quite well in that it's given England a chance to blood some new players you know and for best to to reaffirm his in form um for the batters to start to making some steps i think uh that the the bowlers have, have found it really tough but that's possibly because of the wickets and it may be more interesting when we go to the third test st george's to see whether it's actually uh, an opportunity for them to find more but it's been it's been pretty evenly matched um and the truth is the the player who's head and shoulders above anybody else in both teams is joe root mm-hmm. and he's made some wonderful runs and he's been great to watch in the process 
it's I'll start right there. So I think that's the difference between a good batsman and a great batsman. I think of his time, right? It's the same pitch, but the ease with which you are able to make runs, as if yeah. what I said about Dimuth Karunaratna, you are batting apparently on a different pitch to the rest of the batters. So first of all, I think England had the initiative in both the tests, but. the initiative was blunted by the west indian batting so in the first test yes. first test it came from uh, nkrumah bonner and in the second test from the captain right uh, craig brathwaite so yep. i like to actually credit west indies a little bit if you look at the scoring patterns england have found it comfortable to score about 3 and over in some way try to apply the pressure right to try and win the test but yep. in both the second innings of the test where west indians batted they took the time out of the game they chose to play it like that i think see they come from a slightly more adventurous sort of a mindset where playing t20 comes more naturally to them than hanging yes. around and playing longer format but this is a nice change for me where they are trying to change the mindset and they are saying it doesn't matter we're going to occupy 150 overs even if you get to 350 it's fine right it's about yep. taking 150 overs out of the game where your opposition bowlers have to tire they have to be in the ground for the second consecutive day and so on right so for yep. me this these are the right steps this west indian team is taking eventually you will find one or two batting superstars you had lara for a long time right and somebody who's going to score at a faster clip even under such circumstances where the rest rest of the team around you are going to hang around so if you remember there was a keith arthurton there was this opener campbell there was uh, jimmy adams there were all of yep. these people who are actually very anodyne there was this one blazing light in middle of all of these lara but they built some very good successes around it right so it comes like that naturally in the region and in the way they think i think so bonner is one of those people wonderful wonderful concentration nearly 10 hours yep boring england to death <laughs> i i read the word almost like a tantric sort of an innings somebody i think if if my view somebody asked me that my view is every test team really needs a bonner in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it, it may not be a lot of fun to watch but my god it's handy to have indeed indeed <laughs> no but you have jermaine blackwood who's a stroke maker shamar brooks who has the maturity to sort of switch between the gears you have holder who's must be said a full batsman a full test batsman right so when you look at it and joshua disilo who's very nuggety typical keeper so for me i think you are absolutely right probably those bookies that gave them short odds were not being very just with the west indian team and the way this team performs mm. and look they don't have shannon gabriel yeah. right jaden seals cannot be the similar replacement shannon gabriel will give you a lot of runs on a bad day on a good day he'll run through you yeah. right he's done that enough times so that way they had some limitations starting the series and england probably were looking for a solve based on what happened in australia they were looking for something they thought could be easy uh, it 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 will not be a banana peel they have that kind of professionalism but then it might not be as as easy as you may think that you know west indies are going to just roll over play possum no not at all see in the last two days the third and the fourth days of the second test which you brought up i think the third day was 217 for 3 and the mm. third day was more like what you said 180 for the rest of the wickets right so mm. that's still good test match cricket and sometimes those are in fact the moving days in a series if you look at the context of yep. the series what is it about st george granada coming up that might be these days where england were forced to stay on the field look wood has already been injured out wokes has yep. been bowling a lot of overs stokes has seemed to have found his that additional gear that he has that makes him the champion cricketer but we don't know how comfortable his body will become the third test it'll be interesting because uh 
I, I mean, the truth is that uh, I was dubious about them taking Stokes there at all uh, without him having had a chance mm. to really rehabilitate himself mm. because in Australia he was well below uh, his capacity and I think it must be very wearying for him. And he did come to the West Indies saying he wasn't going to bowl. And mm. um, frankly, without his bowling, England would have been in deep trouble. Uh, they've had the traditional English problem of either unfit or injured bowlers. Uh, so they've, they've lost um, Robinson and uh, Wood, yeah. yes. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to go into the whole Broad and Anderson thing. I think they, <laughs> the whole English selection process is just weird, frankly. I'll leave it at that. Why not take at least one of them? Let the older and Absolutely. the more uh, distinguished person rest. Take Broad. He yeah. has the experience of touring West Indies multiple times. Let him talk and to the boys. He's also a mentor for the younger bowlers too, surely, mm-hmm. you'd think. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well. Uh, England frustrates me so much in terms of the way they, they operate. It just doesn't make any sense. And I feel really sorry for England supporters because they put up with an awful lot. And they <laughs> just feel feel so bewildered by the way the England selectors behave. No, sometimes I think so it's with all the setup, the whole process that's in front of you, you sometimes miss mm. miss the gems that might be you know shining. For example, that Maverick selection, I'll call, of picking um, Butler for the test team, right? I mean, you may call Smith whatever you want. But I think that was, at that point in time, sort of a right sort of a decision. Well, he didn't come good. He never came good after even two, two and a half years of trying. That That's something I'll not talk too much about. That that's, But you need sometimes those sort of decisions. In a, in a setup like Pakistan's, that, that, that happens. In a setup like Sri Lanka's, you see that happen. In a setup which is more very broad and has a lot of processes in place and a lot of fitness and skin fold tests and whatnot in place, you might pick somebody for who he is and what he can do. For example, I think Samit Patel was a loss for me. Uh, mm. He was let go and maybe his attitude or his fitness was in question. And for me, that's a loss. because Possibly. <laughs> there was evidence. That it oh, yeah, yeah. Bad. Of course. Right. I mean, <laughs> I think he got married and there was uh, more than enough to see for everybody. But let's not go there. For me, it's about, as I said, sometimes those decisions still, still need to be made. Because without Stokes, I, you're right. Without Stokes, the batter, without Stokes, the bowler, this team would have suffered. I dare say if West Indian, West Indian team had a more penetrative spinner, they would have put England under a lot more lot more yes, stress yes. and maybe cost them some trouble, right? So, but okay. Now yeah. it remains to be seen. Before we leave this uh, section, what are your thoughts about, uh, well, the result for the third test? Will it be a 0-0 draw or do you see one of the teams snatching a victory? <sighs> It's it's really hard to know, you know. I, I think one of the things that's come of it is that both teams have actually gained some confidence in their capacity to bat a bit. Um, uh, because there's no doubt that England were absolutely shattered after the, the Ashes. And, you know, they against a, a high-class attack, they would have been in real trouble going anywhere. But against this attack, which is okay, but, but you know, it's not got super pace or, or great spinners uh, I think it's actually really been a good net for them uh, so they'll be getting some confidence back in, in terms of that uh, but by the same token I think you know what we've spoken about in terms of the West Indies team holding on when they've needed to and they've got that other gear that they haven't been to as yet but 
I wonder, there's a possibility of some excitement in the third test. I really hope so. Well, I mean, we may be ahead of ourselves. It may be that uh, the, the final day of the second test, which is happening shortly after we finish recording this, uh, may turn into something. You never know. But England are priced at 8-1 to one and West Indies are 40-1. to one, So you can see <laughs> the expectation of a draw. Well, look, you don't expect England to uh, declare that they'll probably just take the time. And it's the same mental disintegration. You play out another whole yeah. day, make sure the opposition is on the field. Maybe Kimar Roach, maybe Jaden Seals. One of these guys may get a niggle or two. You know, uh, I don't yeah. expect too many moving events in the day. But, well... The first half an hour, as always, right? Who knows? Yeah. May produce some interesting yeah, absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Those were all the test cricket games. But now moving on, there are two, uh, let's say, ODI series or one ODI series in the Cricket World Cup to discuss. So, uh, the Bangladesh, did you see the first ODI against uh, South Africa? Well, I didn't see it. I was following it. And I was so happy to see them win. I, I just I just love Bangladesh. Um, I think they've got that energy about them. Mm-hmm. And they've been through some tough times lately. Um, so to see them win in South Africa against a team that is somewhat depleted because of the IPL, which I think is uh, another thing altogether, but I, I feel really sad about the fact that they're not fielding a, a full team simply because of the oh, IPL. No. The full team is being fielded for the ODAs. The players will leave shortly after the ODI series is oh, over. Oh, is that right? Rabada oh, plays, so I... Janssen plays, QDK plays, all of them play. Our play. Oh, right. Oh, well, oh, that makes it even better then. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. What's happening right now in terms of the second ODI? Well, in the, in the second ODI, it's more going to plan if you're a South Africa follower ah. because uh, they're 194 for nine. In uh, Well, they have finished their innings. Bangladesh have finished their innings at 194 ah. for nine. Well, I mean, frankly, six down with 50, anything could have happened. So... I think they showed a bit of resilience yeah, to yeah. even come to 194, but on a fast Joburg pitch, 194 will not be enough. That that should be a comfortable victory. Right. But if I can take a minute yes. to just talk about the first game. It was a wonderful, wonderful game where, look, long gone are those days where you would think you can bounce Asian teams and get away with it and maybe intimidate them a little. So this Bangladesh team, the way they batted, they were sort of waiting for that bouncer barrage to come to increase their scoring. They're confident in their horizontal st- uh, bat stroke play now, right? Cuts and pulls and so on. 314 for 7 is a very challenging total, even on the Centurion pitch. It's a high-scoring pitch, no doubt. But then they also have a little bit of bowling. So I think people like NGD may have taken it a little bit light, maybe, or maybe he's just he was trying to find that consistency after a while. He was targeted. He considered mm-hmm. 75 in, in his 10 hours. And spinners... They played out the spinners well. And I think they have seen that South Africa and made a change. They've introduced a wrist spinner in place of uh, Andile Pelukwayo, right, for the second game. And that worked. Marco Janssen is run, learning his craft. Rabada is, well, mercurial, but he's he's nearly at the top of his game. And he showed that today. He, he was the guy who made all yep. those very important incisions. But in the first game, none of those things happened. As well as the middle order of South Africa bounced back and the tail also tried their bit. It was not going to be enough. So I think Taskeen Ahmad... 3 for 36 in 10 hours. And then, of course, Mehdi Hassan, the off-spinner, 4 for 61. He considered a few runs, but I think they took the wickets. They ensured when the important acceleration was needed, South Africa did not have wickets in hand. For example, Rasif Ander yeah. I thought, gave it away. David Miller, I thought, could have hung on a little longer because he has the strokes, David Miller. But then <clears throat> you have to give the Bangladeshi bowlers credit. You know, it's Just switching over to the test match leg where South Africa will be without... Quinton Dekak has retired, but you have Rabada who's leaving. 
you will not have engedi you will not have yanson their first choice bowling attack is out and that's all because they are precisely that unfortunately is yeah. the cloud this uh, t20 league brings but you you can't really begrudge the players if they want to miss a series here and there oh i don't blame the players i mean and i know the south african cricket uh, board don't have a lot of money to throw around anymore but uh basically the ipl can do what they want and nobody can stop them it's what it's come down to yeah look um i i will not i cannot defend them too much yes they do throw their weight around they do that yeah. but there is there is a historical context to it something we can get into another time but at the at this point yeah. in time it's the player is given the choice and he will always choose himself look there was this very tough conversation about uh, sunil narayan who chose ipl every year or even playing for west indies over a long period of time mm-hmm. you know he earned as much playing in the ipl in one season in over two and a half three months he earned seven times as much as he would have earned in a yearly west indian contract so it's yeah. tough to compare that nonetheless yeah. it's about striking that balance right yeah it comes up to the individual player where yeah, he say can i miss <clears throat> the first four of my franchise game so that i can play two tests mm. Mm. you are abada right you are probably aindrik narke is injured but you and lungi engedi the you are the strike strike weapons of your team right uh, you walking away well south africa will compete that's the one thing we have seen changes in squads based on some selection policy or injuries or look at how they bounce back against india you would never write off the south african team that dean elgar is again a very negative character very much like in the mold of people like graham smith and so on you don't write them off but it falls back on the player at some point in time to say you know what i i want to play tests you can have a lot of money but 100 test matches as a fast bowler which rabada can and probably will achieve injuries permitting he rabada could go on to actually take more than 400 wickets he could emulate stain or people like that right mm, mm. you don't get a career like that look at morne malkal he pulled the plug at the right time he played as long as he could got 300 wickets at 34 he said i want to go play for surrey or something right that, that's understandable but yeah. it's it's a very tough balance for certain certain players uh, people from west indies people from south africa you, you know it's tough for them to prioritize it but i always say duanel olivier is still in the squad right he bowls that awkward lengths you have glenton um, yeah. stewerman whom they're trying their best to get to be the next verman philander and you have lizard williams who has this very awkward pace apparently jars the bat he has that heavy ball uh, that he bowls and khaya zondo has been called up so there's enough here nonetheless but the one thing i would say is don't write bangladesh off bangladesh have done something no, no. that many bigger asian teams have failed to go to new zealand win a test there yeah well that that's certainly true and uh, this is their first uh, odi win in south africa mm-hmm. isn't it record breaking absolutely yeah So yeah, I I don't disagree at all. Um and they can be very attractive to watch as well when they're they're on song. Absolutely. That that's a passion, the passion that comes through everything they do, I think. Even while yeah. submitting resignations, yeah. but you see that that it's it's very nice. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to look forward to the test series. I, I never follow IPL too yeah. much in the first few weeks anyway. So I'm more looking forward to well, this. Well, I mean, I I I'm not exactly certain how long the IPL is going for this year, but it's um two months. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it seems to be getting longer and longer like and you know, I, it's like you can probably miss the first month and come in when it starts getting interesting. 40 days. <laughs> so you can miss the first 40 days and wait it out and 
potentially your yeah. your favorite team might even be knocked out by then like if you are an rcb fan yeah. if you are a cricket tragic you could be an rcb fan and then that's what happens yeah. every time but nonetheless before we go away i wanted to talk about virat kohli and is his star finally fading as another guy in the form of babar azam is stepping up to take the position in the fab four uh don't write him off um i i've got this feeling that over the next 18 months or so virat's going to come back into his full power um there's been such a weight of expectation on him uh and i think giving up the indian captaincy the ipl captaincy and the the white ball captaincy in india has got to be a good thing for him mentally and you know it's not as if he's not still making some runs he's not making huge amounts of runs but he's he can do that he can do that so easily and the truth is that some of the innings he plays is are still very important innings even though they're not centuries so right. yeah don't write him off is my my advice um i think baba is coming forward beautifully uh but it's interesting i had a look at the the rankings the other day and i noticed how far ahead labishain is of anybody else on, on the rankings so i was i was a bit shocked by that cuz although i I admire his resilience. I don't particularly like Manus. He irritates me so. Nobody much. does, I think. Not <laughs> even his roommates or parents. Yeah. But okay. You didn't hear that here. <laughs> Speaking of Bangladesh, I just wanted to say one other thing. I was really sorry that they just the Bangladeshi women just missed out on having a win at the World Cup uh, over India, was it? West Indies. West Indies, that's right. Yeah. Um cuz Oh god they deserved it. Oh man I mean now I think we should talk about the world cup already. The last four games yeah. have all been heartbreakers one way or the other. They've all ah. been like one or lost in the last over with nine wickets down in some cases. So I'm now referring to those games like the one where New Zealand lost with Marison Cap just standing there and making sure South Africa won. And then you had yeah. this game where even a fast bowler West Indian fast bowler we by the way Reed is recovered. Connell right she's recovered and she's in yeah. good place right now so she's just collapsed yeah. on the field in the 47th over and west indies didn't know how to take that last wicket it was almost going to be that bangladesh would bat the overs out that means they were going to win and then something changed and apparently that was the like the spark that lit the west indian group and they took the last wicket right off the field deandra dotina somebody talks about it and then the third game where this was not this is if anything one of the more uh, expected results unfortunately if you are an indian women's cricket fan not a good one but they made a lot of runs 277 was a very tough target on that pitch but australia kept kept going even elisa perry could not kick on but meglaning what a player mm. you know we talk of fab 4 it's a should she not be there <laughs> it's a pretty intimidating lineup all up isn't it right and uh, mrs stark uh, certain alisa healy good gods she can throw her bat <laughs> right and then yeah. and then you have beth muni down the order where you thought okay you know what it's all over no no wait wait there's beth muni oh man and talia magrath talia magrath oh she didn't do much that day but come on what a lineup well i was going to say the extraordinary thing about this world cup has been how many of the games have been really close <laughs> absolutely it's it's extraordinary that there, there's been a couple of walkovers but uh generally speaking there's been a real tightness in the games which has made it really exciting and the fact is that we're still at the stage where 
effectively, well, Australia's definitely qualified for the semi-finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Africa, almost certainly. Yeah. But you've still got a stage where probably New Zealand are, are out of the semi-finals, but yeah. statistically they could make it. But you've still got three three teams battling for the remaining two places in India, um, England, and um, West Indies. That's correct. And, it, you know, it's going to be that way right up until the very end. It, it, that's bloody exciting. The other thing that I think is really interesting, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Australia get through to the semi-finals, having won all eight of the all seven of their matches. But once you're in the semi-finals, things can happen. I mean, they lost to India in the semi-finals uh, last time, and yeah, <laughs> you know, if any team can beat Australia, I think India are probably the top of the pile. But South Africa are pretty fearsome. Um, yeah. Marizana Cap is just amazing. Absolutely, uh, she's. T- taken a hell of a lot of wickets and made runs those those runs those yeah. nerves of steel the chases yeah. right yeah. two games she won purely on the back of her own bat yeah. where you would think ah this is going to get dicey dicey no marizan is just there she's going to score the runs and all the other person on the other end has to do is just stay she's even hitting the boundaries not just holding one end up but that absolute maturity absolute strong mindset where you say Uh, Dhoni like mindset where you say, "Nah, I'll back myself in the end. I'm going to score those runs." Yeah, fantastic to see. England won today very narrowly. <laughs> Must be said, nine down, a lot of runs to be made, oh. but somebody got them. Yeah, and again a heartbreak for New Zealand. I think they let about seven or eight balls go. They couldn't use them up in their innings. That'll hurt them. Uh, right, that'll really hurt them. But um, if you look at it, I think you're right. I, I would still say England has a lot to do. India sort of floundering. West Indies. I think they came back with that win against Bangladesh. Right, only two teams were truly out are Pakistan and uh, Bangladesh. Yes, New Zealand probably on the way out. I would say I, w- I would also back uh, what you said. Australia probably taking seven games, but this don't forget this Australian women's team is really on a roll when it comes to ODI cricket. Right, so mm. they have mm. lost like one game in like thirty or something. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, they have that champion quality, and somebody will come up with the goods. I dare say I back them to win uh, South Africa Australia finals, and I dare say Australia will take the trophy. But We'll probably discuss it in our upcoming episodes. Yes, we'll yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, but it's been great to see, and I think it's been really good uh, in terms of women's cricket getting a spotlight. Uh, probably the drawback is the fact that being in New Zealand, the time means that most of the games are being played in the middle of the night uh, in Europe. So a lot of people uh, are not getting to watch it; they're just getting up and seeing the score rather than watching it. Uh, I don't know if, if you managed to watch much of it yourself. I caught a couple of games. For example, I was able to watch the beginning of the match. So if you are able to stay awake up beyond 1 a.m. or so, some games you are, you can even get half the innings. Then if you wake up even at a reasonable time, let's say eight, mm-hmm. there is a chance the game is not finished. Well, in most cases it is, but in some cases, that's the best I've been able to do, frankly. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, I'm thinking at least some of the games I might want to stay up towards the end of the series, uh, yeah. end of the yeah. you know tournament. Let's see uh, how that goes. Now, yeah. before we wrap up, some news from off the field. So one of the more encouraging ones is that MCC has chosen to destigmatize the air quotes monkard, the runout at the non-striker's end. Not before. Also, some. <laughs> yeah, I can hear that. I can hear that in your thought process. Also. um now that you are a converted australian um i can imagine 
right no but if if it's a law it's a law right so for me it's more black and white yeah either yeah. don't keep it keep it as a law but if it's a law let people who want to take advantage of it let them do yeah. it why right. talk demeaningly about people it's a gentleman's game but it's still within the laws to take uh dismissal in a certain way right well it, it's it's uh, people have talked about backing up as cheating and i don't think mm. i don't regard it as cheating i just regard it as taking a liberty and if you get caught mm. taking a liberty it's like batting outside your crease if you miss Absolutely. the ball and the keeper gets it and stumps you that's it you took a liberty it's it's yeah. exactly the same thing it's just at the other end uh but you do get an advantage from being out of your crease if you're trying to run so it's fair enough I think some of the the crocodile tears from some of the some players uh has yeah. been pathetic but uh, you know get over it that's well another change is you know the saliva the use of saliva for ball shining which is something yeah. very traditional is now they're saying never never do it again it's it's a yucky practice and yeah. we didn't notice that much of a change when it came to the condition of the ball i remember fanny de villiers who used to actually put the ball into his armpit yeah and then take it out and shine it good god i mean <laughs> there are some uh, more abominable practices i'll not go there it might involve the use of jelly beans or something else but um <laughs> you know i think it's time where i think even the technology of how the ball is being manufactured so i can tell you one thing uh, before because we play in a more wet sort of english like conditions there are already some um new inventions or new discoveries that they are trying to bring in so the lacquer that's been coated on a ball is now of a different variety for example mm. here in the early part of the season the ball gets wet very easily mm. if it does because it's the beginning of the day and there is a little bit of um, we we start at 12 but still there's a little bit of moisture on the pitch or around it right on the grass if the ball rolls on it your lacquer is gone and rather your ball becomes a soggy mess very quickly if you're not careful right yeah. so now the ball is a four piece ball and there trying to improve the condition the, the the kind of lacquer that's being used yep. so all of this is still happening so maybe all those archaic practices of sh- shining the ball using certain bodily fluids can probably be done away with oh you'd ha- you'd have to hope so i mean it's interesting <laughs> how those technologies has changed when i was at school as a kid and we used to play hmm. football the balls were made of leather and when that got wet it was yeah. dry- like kicking a rock when you got it. Oh yeah. These days the balls they use got a plastic coating right across it. If I don't know, I assume it's still leather underneath. So basically they don't get that weight. But you know, those balls were quite literally been more than double their normal weight and really wow. dangerous. And that's why uh so many soccer players suffered uh, a lot of brain injuries as a result of hitting the ball. Oh, But yeah. you know, those sorts of technologies uh that make a massive difference to the way games are played. and i think you're right i think as time goes on more and more of those things will happen although the cricketing establishment is unbelievably conservative when it comes to that sort of thing so it'll be interesting battle indeed look it'll never be like a baseball where a ball thrown into the crowd is just thrown into the crowd you get a new one to start it off or a football where there are 10 balls which are all equal the condition of the ball has something to do with how the game goes on right yeah, yeah. but some of some of the attitudes are still very archaic are somewhere deep in the 18th century and so on but okay let's not go there um speaking of baseball uh, if you see the mlc the major league cricket which is planning to be launched in the next year 2023 yeah. they are planning to spend more than 110 million on setting up proper cricketing facilities and grounds right so there is something called merrymore park in seattle suburb uh 
So it's um, near in Washington. Seattle. Yeah, yeah. There's wow. one Santa Clara in San Jose in Los Angeles. Orange yeah, County. well, I would have expected you know California and Florida to be the sort of places to see it, but to have it in Washington State uh, is something else. No, yeah. there's one in North Carolina, uh, Morrisville. There's one uh, Musa Stadium, which is close to Houston. I suppose then I'll focus on places that have got a big expat communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, some sort of a balance between weather. For, for example, Florida, the, the Lauder Hill Stadium, right? The, yeah. That, that already is well known. They've already hosted some internationals. But yeah. You're right. Probably the New Jersey area and places where there are a lot of expats of South Asian origin. But I don't think the weather is particularly conducive to play cricket there. From yeah, I wouldn't I know, have thought so. Yeah. Right? Although, but, you know, knowing, knowing Seattle and the their capacity to innovate, I wouldn't put it past them to find a way of having an undercover stadium of some sort that was multi-purpose. Absolutely. I think that's what we need eventually. In Australia, it was trialed, I remember. There were stadiums, there was at least one stadium which was undercover, right? It was under yep. a, a retractable roof so that if it rains, you don't stop play, right? Yes. Uh, I would like to see more of that. Look, Test match cricket, much like the way cricket is played, even the rules and the administrators apparently have the same sort of inertia, right? It builds up slowly, but once changes start yeah. happening, hopefully they'll start happening quicker. Uh, well, of but, course, yeah. the US thing also relates to the, uh, what is it, the 2024 World Cup being played in, in uh, the West Indies and the USA? I think so, yes. So they're, they're going to jointly host it. So at least Lauder Hill yeah. in some places. They want to have so, proper stadiums. Yeah, so it'll provide an interesting, uh, you know, piece of uh, uh, acceleration in terms of the level of interest, hopefully. Um, I mean, $110 million sounds a hell of a lot to me. But, you know, in the scheme of American sport, it's bugger all, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. When they move in, they move in big. They, they've been organizing major league sports for a yeah, 50, 60 years, if not more. So yeah. they know how it's done. So if that is only a good thing, I'm saying, if that sort of innovation, yeah. that sort of money, that forward thinking, where yeah. you are still looking at the fan at the end of the day, the paying fan, yeah. above, above and beyond the rules of the game or certain inconveniences to the playing people and so on and so on. That, that's fantastic to see. I think. Mm, mm. That's a good thing to have in cricket. So before we wrap up, well, the Asia Cup, if it's a T20 World Cup here, they always have a T20 Asia Cup. So it's going to be held in Sri Lanka. In August, September, so it's going to be another crammed window before the T20 World Cup. So it's going to be interesting to see. All five teams have confirmed that they will participate in That's the Asia good. Cup, the Asian countries. Let's see how that goes. Um, well, those are all the cricketing news, both on and off the field. It's been a very, very enjoyable chat for me, Messi. I know we went uh, much and longer. Me, I just want <laughs> to to toss one other thing in there that's sort of Go a on. bit left field. So the IPL starts in about a week's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <clears throat> Derek Coley and Glenn Maxwell are, are sort of star players for the Royal Challenger of Bangalore. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you saw the story, but in the UK last week, there's a company called P&O Ferries uh, who had 800 staff sacked uh, with no notice at all to be replaced by a cheap crew brought in from elsewhere by the owners of P&O Ferries, who happened to be DP World, based in uh, UAE. And DP World are one of the major sponsors of the Royal Challengers Bangalore. So I'm just interested to see whether there may be some appetite, because there's a lot of outrage, quite rightly, in the UK around the way that's been done. 
And it's the sort of arrogance of big multinationals uh, about the way they treat people. But I would love to see some backlash against DP World and for the RCB to be asked as to why they should continue an association with such an appalling company. So it'll be interesting to see whether anything comes of that. Well, it's a very interesting news story. First of all, I was not aware of this. But um, how do I put it in a mild way? I think the board that controls this whole entity, the uh, the beast, the behemoth, that is the IPL, it doesn't want things that might sort of muddy the water or some things that mm-hmm. might sour the relations. They want to keep the money flowing in. This Absolutely. is a neutral fan, not so neutral fan talking about it, frankly. Yeah. First of all, it's also about the culture of the place where it's being done, where you don't want to upset the apple cart is how things are done. Where yes. I come from. And uh, they don't probably encourage these things. So if, even if a fan holds a placard, you may be asked to politely or in other ways to let it go, let alone a body being asked. I really don't expect a journalist stepping up to, I don't know, if Glenn Maxwell played a match-winning innings and uh, at the end of the day, he's sitting in a press conference and people asking him, what, do you, what are your thoughts on DP World? Don't you think RCB should <laughs> suspend uh, their uh, ties with... I really don't see that happening. As much as a woke world it is, certain parts of this same world are still sort of catching up and they keep it that way for a reason. It's just oh, sort yeah. of a yeah. nuanced point. I don't want to go too deep into it, but I would be very surprised if there were to be any news of this once the IPL starts. It will be interesting. It will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, that was just a, a slightly mischievous uh, no. uh, left field of... I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you and for way too long, to be honest, because I, I need to do some things <laughs> before we start broadcasting the last day of the test match. Uh, I'm sorry so if I can I just it. say thank, thank you, Ajit. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, the time we spent together and I hope your listeners uh, don't think we rambled too much. <laughs> it's that sort of a podcast. It's, it's a test match podcast. That can happen. Thanks Indeed. a lot. I hope to have you again uh, as a guest and uh, I wish all our listeners a good day wherever they are listening from. Thank you. And goodbye. Thank you. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.